You're listening to WYDG Gaming Radio. Now listen to me, brother man. I'll tell it to so you can't understand. We got a whole lot of more discovering. Don't act like you know all to know in the universe. You can't flow from the verse to the next verse. You're a manifest of the effect of a cause without a man. But you're not a lost cause, brother man. Now hear me out, sister lady. Keep hoping for the sun when it's being rainy. You have a special kind of responsibility. The ability to channel out of entity. Tap into a sacred symmetry. Grown foster child into infancy. All my sisters out there with powerful souls. Keep your love strong. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to AV Underground, the podcast where we talk to you about what it's like getting started as a content creator. I'm Josh Needham. I'm MJ Watson. I'm impressed you've never messed up that opening since you got it down. You've it's like, yeah. subconscious at this point. <laughs> um, so this week, we're actually talking with my Uncle Pete, who I, after a long while of him and I talking back and forth, I finally was like, you know what? We need to have this guy on our show. He needs to come on here. Because until we had this sit-down interview, I, I never, like figured that carpentry work and media production would be in the same thought mm-hmm. process but as we come to find boy are they <laughs> very very similar and this this was i was excited about this episode for a long time for that very reason because i felt i felt there were a lot of similarities between the two especially in the thought process of the creator itself and i've just i don't i'm not to my own horn here but i was very much right <laughs> it was it's a lot of it's a lot of the same exact thought process between between someone with a microphone and someone with a hammer it's it was honestly i it, i i say this about a lot of our episodes but it was a very fun episode it was very fun very entertaining very interesting it's it's good stuff um i think it it kind of taught me that like i used to say with um with schooling and taking my core classes versus taking the classes that were centered around audio or mm-hmm. video production. And I'm like, I've gotten about as much out of both because I feel like everything is related. Everything ties together. And I think, you know, nothing really demonstrates it more so than being able to take something that's been around for as long as carpentry work and tying it into something that's as new as live streaming and the mentality behind it. So that's that's coming up at you in a little while. It's very interesting, and uh, stick around for that. But that being said, how have things been on the home front? Uh, they've been good. It's uh, just another, yeah. I mean, these past two months have been weird for me just because I haven't I haven't been recording Never Made Varsity. So it's like I kind of feel a little bit like I'm kind of falling out of the podcast game a little bit. But then coming here today and uh, doing some recording, I feel falling back into it. But now it's. It's still it's still the same thing it was. It's probably you probably hear for like during most of the season is I'm very much in the building up stage and right now we're we're really in the final stretch of yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be a Twitch live streamer. So, yeah, it's kind of the kind of the same stuff. I'm just really It's a, a whole new world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's fun. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying I've been enjoying myself a lot recently. I've been very stressed out with the holidays and stuff as everyone. I'm not a big holiday person, but I've been this these past hol- this past holiday season was very stressful, but at the same time is very interesting cuz I've been I'm having a lot of fun with what's coming ahead of me. But same it's been a very stressful holiday season for me as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, I've been all over the place and I've been having some uh, back and forth over the holiday season of like, oh, I have time off. I should be streaming. I should be I should be working. I should be doing something a lot more right now than just enjoying myself. What is that? <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. God forbid I have a moment of fun. <laughs> like I didn't do nearly as much gaming over that week off that I, as I thought I was going to. And I'm a little, a little sad about yeah. it. I just picked up Red Dead Redemption 2 finally. Yeah, oh, Rudy Tootie yeah. Cowboy Shooty. Yeah, dude. Oh, I, I I just finished the intro of it last night, and I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm all in. But yeah, no, let's not let's not get into that discussion. We've been doing a, <laughs> like no one knows, but we've doing we've been doing that a lot today, having a lot of random discussions, not regarding. Oh, content. they've been all over the place today. But uh, man, I'm I'm just very excited for everything going forward. Yeah, and. It's it's weird. It's just it, it, there's nothing weirder than this stage of content creation because it's not like we have something tangible to like give to the audience right now. Be like, and if you just go on YouTube right now, or if you just download this podcast right now, you can hear about it. It's very much a we're gonna do this, and we're yeah we're we're, we're gonna do it. <laughs> we're, we're we're still waiting to do it. So it's a it's a very odd stage, but yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, uh, I'm kind of I've kind of been enjoying. I've just I've just been enjoying myself more recently. I've been learning to let up a little bit on the Mm, pressures and just let myself have fun with things yeah because that's that's where really the best content comes honestly it is like when it when it's just when it just falls out of you like vomit after a frat party it's just (laughs) nothing better than it man (laughs) 
I have not heard that analogy before. And <laughs> it, just, it just came to me. Gold. <laughs> um, but yeah, just learning to learning to relax and have fun with it. And that's, you know, I think that some of the best work that I've done and some of the stuff that's been most viewed as far as my content goes is stuff that I didn't think about beforehand. Right. I just like that, that one commercial that I did where I just got pissed off one day and took my camera outside <laughs> and threw something together. Um, I have unfortunately not going to link that. I've taken it down. Oh, um, no. Did you, did you get some trouble for it? Uh, no. Oh. No, I didn't get any trouble for it. It's just I've been having a thought process lately of I want to start minimizing the traceability of my location. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, partially because I've been listening to some really good podcasts that just make me fucking paranoid. <laughs> and partially because... I know a lot of people that live in this area and like yeah. the last thing I want to do is oust anyone. Yeah, no, I, I get you on that. I try. So it was a little, yeah. a little sad to see it go, but, but I think that's going to be right. my, my goal going forward is to make better. Yeah. My goal is going forward is going to be to make better content in that same kind of structure. Right. Or lack of structure. But I mean, I, I don't have any much else to get to. No, I think with, uh, at this point, we've held the people up long enough. Yes. You guys really are going to enjoy this. I, that's, I, that's I all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, see, I see where the Needham personality comes, the, the Josh Needham personality comes from in the, sit, having this sit down with your see, uncle. See, what's weird is we're not blood related. Oh, you're not? Oh, No, okay. he married into the family. Oh, okay. Well, I would say, but he, it feels like we're right. blood. Yeah. We could practically be like siblings. Yeah, but. really. It was, very, it, was very, it was very interesting. I had a, I very enjoyed talking with your uncle. It reminded me of talking with my father. It was very strange. <laughs> He's such a great guy. Yeah. Uh, without further ado, we're going to take a, a short break real quick, and we'll come right back at you with uh, our interview with Pete Lavoie of Lavoie Carpentry. Enjoy. Have you noticed that for some reason it's become common culture for apps and websites to invasively collect your personal data and track the websites you visit in order to better advertise to you? Is it just me, or does that make you more than a little uncomfortable? We at Yadu don't believe in tracking the browsing habits and collecting personal data of our friends. That's you. That's why you'll never find a targeted ad on our website, a notification about using cookies, no matter how delicious they may be, or creepy men in black suits with no fingerprints rooting through the shoebox under your bed. We aim to keep the Yadude experience ad-free. However, since we're not willing to shake you down for your sweet, sweet personal information, that means we need to cover the cost of production another way. If you really enjoy this podcast or any of the projects under the Yadude or WYDG brands, you can show your support in several ways. If you're all about covering your naked body when you go out in public, perhaps check out our merch store, linked in the description. There you'll find all sorts of things that we've designed for you to wear, as well as other useful items. If you're interested in sponsoring this or one of our other podcasts, check out patreon.com backslash yadude, link in the description, and sign up for a monthly pledge. We have several different reward tiers that you can choose from, starting as low as $1 per month, and each coming with different sponsor-exclusive benefits. Thank you so much for listening to our work, and thanks to those who have signed up on Patreon already. Our goal is to keep Yadude and WYDG ad-free and never collect your personal information for profit. Now, back to the show. So, Pete, welcome to the show. Thank um, you, Josh. Welcome back to AV Underground, everyone. I'm Josh Needham. I'm MJ Watson. Hello and there, as usual. We are joined in the studio today with Pete Lavoy, owner, head of Lavoy Carpentry. Um, Pete, why don't you start off, give us a little bit about uh, how you got started in the carpentry business. Well, thank you, Josh. Carpentry, to me, was not something that I just started doing. It kind of happened. And I think a lot of your listeners probably understand, you know, some can pick up a a game console or a tool and just start using it. And mine happened to be our house burnt. You know, our house burnt down in 1976. I was a sophomore in high school and uh, I hadn't done very many carpentry projects up till then. But uh, I went back to school after the fire and I was flunking out of school and they put me into a carpentry shop down at the trade school in Lemonster. And that was just so I could graduate, but it just happened to take off. It struck a nerve with me, and the teachers ended up hiring me to work for them in the summers. And um, over the years, I've just been very, very lucky 
to be able to work with some of the greatest generation. Some of the guys that I worked with actually built PT boats back in World War II. And, uh, you know, they had a lot of tricks, a lot of skills, a lot of mindset. And I'm sure your listeners can understand, you know, if you have a mindset, you're going to do whatever that project is, and you're just going to get through it. So carpentry has kind of done that for me. I, When I first started, I was living, eating, breathing. I was had sawdust in my veins. See, and I feel like you've, you've kind of been that way since we met. Yeah. All those years ago when I was just a wee tot. And I've kind of always known Pete as like the carpentry guy. Um, yep. You know, working on different projects and what have you. Did you have something in mind before that moment when that happened and you got put into carpentry? Was there something else that you were like, I want to do this with my life? Or were you kind of just free-flowing along the way and then carpentry grabbed you in? I think I was a, a typical teenager. You know, I grew up, uh, I did have a good work ethic. And we had a farm that was right up the street. So when I was about eight or nine, I used to go up with a bunch of the kids from the neighborhood. We'd milk the five cows. We'd uh, pick up eggs from the chickens and... Usually half of them would make it in the house. The other half were all over us because we'd throw them at each other. But uh, then we'd go home and have our breakfast. And we'd go down to the lake after that and have a little swim some days. And other days we'd go up to the uh, the farm on the other side of the dairy farm. And the farmer would pick us up on his farm all and drop us off in the field to pick up fruit. And come Friday, we'd get to take home a quart of warm milk from the dairy farm. And the produce farmer used to let us take home whatever we could carry. That was our pay. So we never really had money as a motivation. It was more, hey, I can get some cool veggies, and I like these apples, and <laughs> I like these green beans, and that kind of thing. So it was more of a, a physical attraction, I think, more than a mental one. Because I went from that to mowing lawns. I used to ride my bike all over town to mow lawns for $4 a piece. And then uh, got into carpentry work, and I was excited because I was making $4.50 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, hot diggity. <laughs> hot diggity. <laughs> what was it with um, with carpentry for you that, that pulled you into it? Was it the making something with your hands and seeing a finished product? Was it just the work in itself? That's a really good question because, you know, I, I never really thought about it much until – you know, Josh and I have had quite a few conversations over the years. And, you know, with some of the other family members, we've done the same thing. We've had a lot of deep conversation about different things. And one thing that I've picked up on it is that carpentry for me started as a physical job. It was something that I could do and I was capable of and I enjoyed it. And as I learned about it more and more, um, as it became more natural for me to do it. I didn't think about it as much. So I started to become more creative with what I did. And a lot of carpenters will get used to that mundane every day. Okay, I got to put two nails in every joist to hold up this piece of strapping, blah, 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 blah. And the other ones, which I consider myself to be one of the other ones, I would be the one to say, okay, I got to nail up this strapping, but I also need to put an extra piece in here. So when I make the corner with sheetrock, I've got something to screw it to. And a lot of people don't pick up on that. And through that creativity and that, that bit of artistry, um, it's gotten me promoted to job foreman. I've been to the Nary School, and I've been to the grading school up in Maine to learn how to grade lumber. And it just makes me a better carpenter, and it also makes me a better person in my own mind because I can apply what Josh or Watson have in their head to their building but through my hands. So you become more than just a carpenter. You're a part of everybody's life, you know, and I feel like I'm giving back to people that way. And that's more what it's about. It's the contribution. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the work ethic and the creativity, like like you said, you started with a hard work ethic and that's what ended up developing these skills. And once you earned the skills, that's when the creativity started. Do you think it would have been possible to develop those skills regardless if maybe carpentry was your calling? Do you think it would still, or do you think you have to have that work ethic and also that mixture of 
I want to get better at this and I want to have the creativity to do this? That's a great question. That's a really good question. And I'm going to tie that in with a, with another thing because right now uh, the trades all across the board, electrical, plumbing, carpentry, roofing, siding, concrete work, excavation, all the physical trades are predicted to lose 60% of their labor force by the year 2025. I'm 57 years old. I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. But a lot of people now, as they're growing up, don't go into the trades. They're heading more towards, oh, the medical field is hot right now. Um, a lot of electronics fields are hot. People are going into that. So they're going to have a serious shortage come about 2025 of people to maintain your buildings, come in and wire a new bulb, that type of thing. And there aren't a lot of people following up in, in my footsteps to get trained. I also work with the trade school in Lemonster. I'm on the, uh, the board, one of two professionals that help the kids, um, you know, predict what's coming in the future and try to move them along. And my recently deceased friend, John Roberge, was big at the Lemonster Trade School, helping the kids do the same thing. But a lot of what we see there is that the kids come in, they're kind of steered towards their exploratory program. Okay, so we'll try three shops, and we'll pick one through three what we want to do. The kids kind of do it because, well, this one might interest me, but this one looks really easy, and this one I think I can get away with some stuff. You know, at, at that time in their life, they're not really prepared for a future. So, you know, if you're coming into first-year high school, a lot of kids are in turmoil. So it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to put the work ethic part of it into perspective because you really pick that up on your own. You know, that's inbred into you from your parents or from uh, grandparents or someone that's a mentor in your life when you're younger. And as you come along, how you develop, that's really up to you. And there are many kids that I know that graduated with me in high school that didn't do a thing with carpentry. One of them owns a pest control business now. And another one, he lives in a cardboard box down near the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there's really no way to tie that together. Yeah, I think it's really an individual's in order, choice. In order to get, in order to get the creativity and like the skill, as you call it now, you need to inbred that work ethic, or it just it just won't come. I feel. I, I also feel that's something I've noticed a lot, though. In that, not even like I, like we talked about before this earlier. I've grown up around a lot of trade with my dad and my stepdad, but even like with the stuff me and Josh do, I notice that a lot. Is there's a lot of people that can do what me and Josh do or can do a trade. But as soon as, as soon as it starts getting hard, not even hard or challenging, but more different or that they need to add more, use more mental capacity to it, they don't want to do it. And I always thought work ethic exactly. was a physical thing and not a mental thing. But I realized it's very much both in order to, in order to get better at your calling and find your calling, you really need both. So I figured it was, it was interesting to tie into trades and figuring out where you came from that. Well, you're on a good, good point there too, because a lot of us, um, you know, we learn a lot from our parents. Yeah. And those first few years are your developmental years. Now, as a parent, you want to spoil your kids. You want to make their life easier than yours was when you grew up. My parents did the same thing. The difference was that when I grew up compared to now, and I, I really, you know, I'm kind of going out into, you can correct me if I'm wrong here because I'm not a parent now <laughs> <laughs> or a kid now. But when I was younger, you know, my parents would tell me, you know, be careful, don't do that. You may get hurt. Okay, ma. And I'd go around the corner and I'd do it anyway just because I knew I could get hurt, but I was going to do it carefully. Nowadays, it seems like you tell somebody not to do it and they get more belligerent. I'm going to do that because you said not to. So they go out and they get hurt or worse or break something or do real serious damage. And then they just walk away from it. So there's a little bit of responsibility tied in with that drive to get things done, you know, and there's also got to be a little bit of artistry in it and a little bit of mechanical ability and a little bit of mental capacity, you know, and, and that's all something that you develop that you can't be trained for, you know, and that's another thing that they say is usually one in three 
that go through a trade school program for any trade, usually one of the three is going to succeed. The other two may end up being a lower level of that trade, or they may drop out completely. So it's not a, it's not a huge turnaround. And that's come down quite a bit from when I first got out of school because I was in a class of 30-ish, 30 30-something 30 people. And out of that class, there were probably half a dozen of us that didn't at least start in the trades before they dropped out. So, you know, it, it can be very rewarding. So I wanted to ask, because you had brought up how the predicted job market for your trade and uh, cement workers and people that know how to do that kind of stuff looks to drop off by the mid 2020s. Mm-hmm. I mean, coming from a media perspective, and you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm working in that Watson works in is still relatively young and new to the world to the industry, things like live streaming video games for people to watch. It's still very new. And a lot of people don't know where it's going. And we feel very much like we have to try and adapt and move with it. And it's kind of a, an unnerving and scary thing going forward, not knowing where it's heading. What are your feelings with being told like your job market may be really short staffed come 10 years from now? And I mean, in your position, it's not like you're in your early 20s and going, what am I going to do for work? Or maybe I'll be in high demand. It's like, do you feel that there's any responsibility on your end to try and help push people in that direction? Or are you very much like, I guess this is where the world is going. I'm going to do what I can while I can. That's a good question too, Josh, because again, you can't force somebody to do something they don't want to do. Yeah. But any chance that I get that I see anybody that shows any kind of interest, uh, Josh has shown interest in building projects over the year. Uh, Josh's brother has shown some interest in doing skateboards over the year. You know, we've had a lot of interesting talks about different things like that. And when anyone shows that kind of interest, I'm the first one to say, oh, come on over. Let's have supper. We'll talk about it. We'll make a plan, and then we'll come back again, and we'll have another dinner, and we'll build something. Or do you want me to come to the house if it's something that we can't do, you know, in my shop? So I think, you know, everybody is their own individual person. But whoever shows any kind of of interest in anything, whether it's technology or in carpentry or plumbing or electrical, I say support it to the hilt until they get tired of it and figure out that it's not their calling, you know, because we all have a knack for something. And that's what makes us so good at working together, because I can't be good at Josh's or Watson's job. You guys aren't as good at my job. But we can work together, and I can build the building for you to put your studio in, and somebody else who you know can come in and wire it for you, and somebody else can keep changing the light bulbs and keeping everything up and going. So we all have to work together in this life, and it's becoming more and more individual or individualistic. And how was going from when you first got into carpentry and moving forward, how much of that How long, I guess, were you working for other people before you decided, maybe I should make the switch and run my own company? Well, I can't exactly remember for myself. I was always a little more driven. And a lot of the people that I've worked for have now retired or passed away. Um, But they were from, a lot of them were from previous generation. In my case, I worked for a lot of older people that were trying to train me to take their place. And at the same time, on the weekends, I was going out and doing work for family or for friends or in some cases for money to to make a little bit, thinking I was better than I was. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a lot of mistakes while I did it. But, you know, I also got lucky as some of them hired me back years later to come and fix what I screwed up. <laughs> so, but I think... Um, I actually started my business, I graduated from trade school in 1979, and I can remember in the mid-80s, I finally branched out onto my own. And it was to do what I consider some of the mindless projects, like did a lot of roofing, I did a lot of siding, it's a lot of um, bulky work, a lot of heavy handling, carrying, stagings, that kind of thing. But it was, uh, you know, you basically put one shingle down, butt it up against the next, put it in the right spot, four nails, move on to the next. 
you know, and you make a little game of it. Siding was the same way. And then it kind of snowballed from there that I worked in a furniture shop for a little while and learned a little bit more cabinetry. And that's when I started to develop my artist, artist side. And uh, I like to do projects that I can put my signature on the bottom of, say, a stair tread or on the bottom of a piece of furniture or a built-in cabinet so that hopefully someday they'll pull that cabinet out to remodel and they'll find my name underneath there and say, oh, I remember him or I've heard of him. So those kind of things just develop, but that wouldn't be for everyone. Everyone has a different timeline, you know, and some are happier working for somebody and getting that guaranteed paycheck every week. You know you're only working 40 hours. You're not going home after a 10-hour day, struggling outside in the snow, and then have to sit down and figure out an estimate or write up a bill or make some phone calls or try to find material for the next day and pick it up before you go to work. So it's, um, it's totally an individual's drive that will decide if you're going to start a business or if you're going to stay as a, as a uh, worker bee. When So it was obviously a different time when you decided to start doing your own business. But when you did it, did you have thoughts of beforehand being like, this is how I want my company to look. This is like the like the tip, like the kind of like standard business plan that there is nowadays where it's like, this is the message I want my company to send. Or was it more like a literally, if I build it, they will come and I will let my <laughs> I will let my work show for me. And like, basically, I'm wondering, how did you end up basically building? Because in the word that we use a lot is brand, like the like what kind of brand are we building? Mm -hmm. What did you really do to like establish your brand of carpentry, like trustworthy carpentry that you can trust I can come over and do your job. How did you how did you build that up with your with your community? That's a real good question because that spans the generations. I mean, how things work as far as the business goes, you can you can go to a business school and you can learn all the different ways to do accounting and how to do branding and how to do your advertising and everything else. And a lot of what I've seen from friends of mine and from also people that I work with, you know, from different trades. A lot of us are so wrapped up in our trade that you're not very strong in your business skills. And if you're strong in your business skills, you tend not to put on the tools. So when you're a sole proprietor and you're going out just as yourself to do a project, it's, uh, you know, it can be a little overwhelming. And you have to try to put your mind into exactly what you're doing for that moment. Plan your eight-hour workday. Then you get out of that workday, and on the way home, I know myself, my mind is racing about, okay, i got to go home and call this one, that one, the other one. I'm ready to schedule these guys to come in. I've got to set up a delivery. Oh, where am I ever going to buy this particular nail? Who would have it around that I can pick it up at 5 o'clock at night? Um, you know, a lot of those things, you, you kind of develop your your rut, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that really answers your question or not for you. No, I think it's just more, I thought it was interesting because like you said, someone is me with what I'm starting my content creation. I'm starting again tomorrow what Josh is doing with live streaming. And the first thought that I always thought was like, it's going to be very overwhelming to try and connect with an audience over that. And I just thought, I think it's interesting. You had the same thought, even with just building and how overwhelming it can be running. Like you said, having the business side of things and also having the trade side of it is funny because that's exactly how I try and think now with how do I want to run my brand as a business, but how do I want to get good at what I want to do? That actually speaks to me a lot when yeah. you said how mm -hmm. you can either be good with the business side of it, not put on the tool belt or be good at the trade side of it and not so great with the business side, because there's so much pressure in our generation. I think with people that want to get into content creation, media production is you have to have the right branding. You have to know how to run it. And there's so much emphasis put on how to run the business mm -hmm. that too many, too many times it's easy to forget that you also need to learn what you're doing and get good at what you're doing. Right. And it, sometimes it is a struggle, especially for me. I've, I go back and forth between I can either live stream or I can figure out how to market a stream I'm not doing. I had that for a long time when I was doing things with YouTube where I'm like, I had the branding down. I had logos. We were on social media. The one thing we weren't doing was making videos. And I'm like, what sense does it make to mm -hmm. market a channel that doesn't produce anything? And there's that, that whole back and forth. Now, do you work with people? Um, 
in, within Lavoie Carpentry to help you take care of some of that? Or is it pretty much on you? And with what is on you, how do you manage to balance that between I'm a carpenter and this is what I'm doing and I'm good at my trade and I'm also a good business person? <laughs> That's a real good question, too. You kind of put me on the spot here, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a strong business person, but my creative mind helps me to, I guess, to do my own advertisement. I don't put out TV ads. I don't put out newspaper ads. Don't pass out flyers. I don't do anything like that. My business was built on word of mouth so that if I go to your house and I do a great job and you like the way I did it, I'm always very polite. I'm always, uh, you know, very concerned about your thoughts, you know, and have you be part of the project because it is your project. It's not mine. And that in itself will send me off to their sons, their daughters, their parents, uh, friends of theirs, you know, and all of my work comes to me that way. So when it comes to the business end of it, I tend to keep it very simple. I have a computer program that <laughs> my nephew put in for me. <laughs> um, That's me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Josh does a lot of my, my computer work. Um, I have a, a neighbor who's a professional office manager. She comes up and she does my QuickBook taxes for me. Oh, to that's help convenient. Me input. Oh, <laughs> couldn't live without her. <laughs> yeah, and all it costs me is I got to cook her a meal. Huh? I can do that. <laughs> um, I don't know. A lot of the other stuff just falls into place. I have an accountant that I pay every year to do my taxes. The office manager inputs all my info, so it's very inexpensive. My um, office so to speak, is a desk in my, my living room with a computer, and I have the format already in there so that I can write up a bill, I can write up an estimate, I can do a change order really fast right there. But as far as getting into it any deeper, I have a lot, a lot of great ideas, but I don't do them. You know, because Josh isn't around to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you said something else there, actually, that I feel like kind of um, reflects on some of the issues that we've had to deal with in media creation as well. And that's your personality, how you interact with people. Because uh, I don't know how saturated the market was as far as people going into carpentry when you're trying, like, trying to figure out who am I really competing against. And maybe that's not something that you put too much in the forefront of your mind is competing with others. But I know at least going to school for media for myself, a lot of emphasis is put on everyone else wants to do what you're doing. The market is way oversaturated. The only way you're going to differentiate yourself from anyone else out there is your personality and what makes you, you. And you find that a lot in the streaming communities that people don't necessarily show up to watch me because I'm playing a particular game. Like maybe people don't necessarily come to you because you can work with wood. They come to you because you're the polite guy that did a great job the last time they were there. Their friend told them about you or yeah. So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of interesting how that kind of parallels between what I'm working on, what you're working on. But I know in my projects, at least, and the people that I've networked with, there's always seems to be more emphasis, less emphasis on the trade itself and more emphasis on branding yourself as a person. Yeah, I think that's where I think that's what's funny. Like you're saying, there's a lot of similarities between the whole business side and the trade side. But on your side, it seems to be in to succeed. More, well, maybe not. That's the wrong word. But to succeed more necessarily on your side, you probably should want to focus more on the trade than the business aspect. Whereas on this side, it's pretty much forced down our throat. Like if you're going <laughs> to succeed, you better yeah. be good at business. Right. So I know I think nice voice. I think it's yeah yeah I think it's very similar. So I find it funny. There's a lot of similarities, but the crux the crux of success, which I don't have a better word for it right now, is the difference in between the trade and that. But I mean, I don't I don't really have any other questions because most of our questions got answered pretty pretty standardly. My uh, well, one of my big things is um. When you started, did you feel like the market was oversaturated or were you more just, this word. is what I want to do, I'm going to do this, and we'll see where it goes? Well, if, if you or your listeners ever follow the stock market, you'll see that it usually runs in about a seven-year cycle as far as my trade goes. You'll see it follows the commodities, oil barrel pricing, that affects a lot because you think of petroleum, most people think of gas for your car. But if you look around your studio here, you've got plastic microphone covers, you've got plastic parts in all of your stands, your computer terminals, you've got a lot of wire in there that's made from plastic parts. Plastic is a petroleum product, so it's all driven by that commodities market. Carpentry is the same way. 
the wood is cut here in Maine. And I mean, you know yourself, anybody that has ever cut down a tree knows how long it takes for that tree to come back again. And if you've got a, you know, a forest that you level and you plant new trees, well, now you've got to wait a 10 to 12 year cycle before you can cut more wood. Drives my cost way up and way down. And now with everything going to Canada and then coming back to us, the tariffs also add into that. So when I started in carpentry back in 1976, <laughs> I almost hate to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, we were just coming up into a bubble. And the bubble was right through the 80s. Banks were giving people money. They were begging them to come and buy money from them so they could build a house. Oh, come on in. We'll give you great rates. And well, then, like the computer bubble, it all burst. And the rate, the cycle went the other way. Houses were going into foreclosure. People were losing, defaulting on their loans. They were running away in the middle of the night and leaving the houses. People were stealing copper out of all the buildings. You know, it was it was awful. But then it started to come back up again. So now we're kind of riding, we're kind of riding the high point of the bubble, heading towards the back end. So we're going to see another little dive in it in the future, but. Typically, in a presidential year or an election year, that's when you see everything drop because people are kind of hedging their bets, waiting to see what's going to happen. So that also plays into the cycle. So again, when I started back in carpentry, it was a high point. You couldn't find a carpenter that wasn't busy. You couldn't find a plumber, electrician. People were waiting six months to get a cellar hole dug and put a foundation in because the guys just couldn't get there. There wasn't enough people. And now we're kind of at a good point where, you know, we're, we're got enough people to do the job, but they're older people. <laughs> so now we're going back into that 2025-ish time frame. And, you know, by the looks of things, guys in my position would probably be working until we're 70. But the jobs that we're doing aren't going to be roofing and you know, carrying heavy timbers up and down and LVLs and all that heavy stuff. We'll be doing the finished trim. We'll be putting up cabinets with a helper. <laughs> so, you know, you're kind of, uh, you adapt to the times much as you guys do when you're growing up, going through school. It's it's really no different. And as far as the, the artistry part of it, we all have that creativity. It's just finding the venue to get it out and doing it. I know Josh's brother makes a lot of crafts and really good at it. Josh, you and Watson, you've done quite a thing with this this video blog. And, you know, it, it's just, it's amazing how to watch people, how people find their own way to get out of the way. You know, <laughs> you get stuck on the couch after a little while and finally you just say, you know, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm going to do something. And you get up. And I did the same with drinking. I was a, a functional alcoholic for years. And then 27 years ago, one day I came home from plowing and I just decided, you know, this is stupid. Wasting all my money. I'm tired all the time. You know, I'm not performing very well. Boop. I just, I was able to stop. So it's the same with your work. When you find something that you want to do, it's easy to apply yourself and become real good at it, you know. And a lot of people will go through several careers. They'll go, I know one guy that used to cut wood for me, and uh, I'd dry it in the kiln. He was in his 70s. He was a retired physicist, and he was a retired geologist. And he had a, a master, uh, I'm sorry, he had a doctorate in each one. And he was incredibly brilliant. He just wanted to cut wood. So they'd bring the logs over to him. He'd roll it on there. His son would roll it on for him because, again, he's old. They'd get the log up on the sawmill, and he'd cut the thing, and it would come out perfect because he understood the chemistry of the wood, how it's made up, what it was going to look like when it came to the finish. And he just was amazing. So it, it's, you know, it's such a wide-open thing. But it kills me to see all these young people that will come in, they'll sit down, they'll just sit there, they'll play on their phone, they'll do
do anything and everything they can to not do what needs to be done. <laughs> you know, and again, that's my upbringing. So I'm not accusing anybody and I'm not getting out there. But, you know, when I find somebody that is interested in what I do, I can't wait. Oh, I'm going to show you. I'm going to I'm going to avalanche you with all my info. I've got so much stored up here that I need to get out before my head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> that That's actually funny because it actually brings me to something, like, like you said. I guess the question is, do you think with all this that, do you have times when, like you said, you've been doing this all your life, so it's never really been a thing of like, I'm never not going to do carpentry again. But I'm sure you've had moments where you've been like in a rut, where you've been like, this is this is questioning to, whether or not this is what you yeah, really want to be yeah, doing. Yeah, you're as we call it burning out. Do you so do you have when you're in those moments how do you get out of it or do you have do you have general advice on how to fight motivation or get motivation back? <laughs> Boy, I might have to turn that one over to Josh cuz he and I <laughs> oh, do that all the time, don't we? <laughs> we go back and forth oh. to each other all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah, we have those uh some people in the uh, sewing community might call it a stitch and bitch. <laughs> we'll just get together and <laughs> like chat about everything going on and try and feed off each other. And I think it is useful if you have someone, whether they're in the same kind of creative field or a different creative field, to get together and be like, I have to vent some things because I'm feeling a little unstable in what I'm doing right now. Um, and I don't expect you to be able to fix the problem. But sometimes you kind of realize you have a common ground, like maybe... I'm dealing with, I'm having a hard time convincing myself to push forward because I feel like it's going nowhere. And maybe Pete can relate to me with something that, uh, oh, I had a point when everything was low, but I kind of realized that the market does go up and down. And I'm, I'm like, well, it makes sense. I'm in a down point right now. Things will pick back up. And we just kind of got to go through it. And, and that helps a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. It does in both ways. He's done that for me at the same time. But one thing that, uh, you know, a lot of people get so depressed that they can't think their way out of it. And you really do. Josh's got a good point. You do have to vent, whether it's to a colleague or to a family member or just a good friend, or maybe you're out on a date and all of a sudden something snaps that it starts you talking, you know, and she may never go out with you again, <laughs> but <laughs> at least you feel better and you can go back to work tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so Pete, I did want to ask you before we, uh, wrap for the day, uh, I have a friend of mine, Static Crowbar, the name he goes by, uh, he and I met four years ago when I started doing YouTube, he was stationed with the U S Marine Corps out in Japan. He was making YouTube videos and he's come a, a long path since then Thank you following for careers service. and yeah, thank you for the service static. <laughs> um, and he's come a long way since then. And recently he started getting into woodworking and he's, Kind of started awesome. to set up his own workshop in his garage. He's been making like jewelry boxes and things like that. And, you know, he's just recently started a carpentry blog of the things he's been doing. He said, no, I'm not a tradesperson yet. Like, I have no formal training in any of this. I've basically just picked up what I've picked up. And these are the things that I'm doing. Uh, do you have any advice for him as someone who wants to work in like with woodworking and working with his hands, making that switch, like how he can... uh pursue that path, I guess. Absolutely. You know, there are so many people like me that are out there that are getting older. We've done all the carpentry that anybody has ever thought of, you know, and a lot of people that are out there are looking for people like Static that would want to take some of our advice and learn some of our tricks. Um, you know, there, there are so many around and my my advice to him would be to find somebody like that that he could pick the brain a little bit, maybe even have that person come over and work with him for a little bit, show him a couple of tricks, maybe introduce him to some new tools that he didn't know existed, you know, and anybody the same way. I promote homeowners even going out and doing their own work. Go ahead, screw it up. It's nothing I can't fix, you know, and you call me afterwards and... You know, a lot of people will go in and take advantage of a homeowner like that. But if you can find the right carpenter or the right plumber or the right electrician that'll come in and talk you through it, oh, this is what you did wrong. This is how we fix it. The next time, they know a little more. They can do a little more. And it's actually good for people like us because we don't want to do those projects <laughs> all the time, but we're good at coaching. <laughs> so my suggestion would be to look around in the local uh, area, see if he has any friends that have friends or relatives or someone that has got 
carpentry background, you know, or furniture background, or somebody that's retired that's sitting at home all day thinking about what he used to build. Go go get them. Take them to coffee. Ask them what they want to do. You know, hey, you got a couple hours to come over, you know, and then work on it. I think that's actually, I find that interesting. I think the idea of apprenticeships all over the place from trade to what we're doing is the idea of it is kind of, it's not a thing anymore, which I kind of find surprising is that no one, which I feel it'd be, because I feel apprentice is a term for like really young, but even, I don't know exactly how old Static Crowbar is, but like, I feel you could be an apprentice from 30 to 40 years old. Like, I think that's a fine thing. And I think, I think overall, that's something that's kind of lost in today's world is the idea of an apprenticeship. Because I personally, mm-hmm. if there was someone like what we're doing, like content creation, that was like, I would love to take someone under my wing, I'd be there in a heartbeat. But see, that's part of, I think, the the good and bad side of having an internet culture now. Yeah. Is that if I want to learn how to like clean up my audio better for our podcast, I can go on YouTube and look up cleaning up podcast audio. And there's going to be a couple thousand people at least that have made a video about how to do this. Unfortunately, it's not, I can't look at a username and go, this person has experience doing this. This person knows what they're doing. They have training. There's, it's a lot of people trying to find how to's. It's, it's almost like someone trying to seek a trade master mm-hmm. to learn from, but you're getting a lot of collective knowledge. And I think it's both better and worse because in one hand, I'm not finding someone who is a master and set in their ways of what I want to do and following their path. I'm kind of branching out and pulling from a bunch of different areas and building what I want to build out of it, finding what works for me and using that. But at the same time, you also don't know if these people know what they're talking about or if someone just decided to make a video about how to do something they're not quite sure on. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be following something wrong for a little while before you realize, oh, (laughs) I shouldn't be doing this. I, I should have been doing it this way. That's exactly the point I was trying to make because you're being you're your own person, you know, and the hardest thing to do in this world, everything is becoming so individualistic where it's all hooray for me, the heck with you, that you forget that you may be the only person, but you're not the only person doing whatever that project is. And there are so many different ways to do it that Josh made a good point where you have to pick and choose different parts of what other people do and make that work for you. You know, the way that I hang a door isn't the way that somebody else would hang a door, but they both come out perfect. They both last for years. There's nothing wrong with either way, but it may not be the right way for either one of you to try to do. So you have to kind of, you know, modify everything to yourself and yet still keep that community sense you know, because you want others to look at what you've done and say, hey, he's really got it going on. That's a good idea. I'm going to pick this part of that and I'm going to modify it for myself. So you're becoming what you've taken from and pass that on. Having having an individual as- aspect isn't a necessarily a bad thing when it comes to finding your art form, but mm-hmm. it is a bad thing when it comes to improving your overall community aspect and overall getting getting stuff done. Right. <laughs> Well, that's where the modification comes in. Because yeah. if you can learn the base of how to do it, how to hang a door, right? then you can say, oh, I can do that better. And you change it up a little mm-hmm. bit. And that takes a lot of time. That's not something you develop right away. You know, that'll come after the 50th or 60th door that you've hung up and figured out that there's an easier yeah. way. <laughs> you, have, you have the Eureka moment. You do. The aha moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for others, it's the, oh boy. Moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get those a lot, don't you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have been a lot lately with this. <laughs> it's it's weird. It's very rapid, I find, with us, but that could just be because we're just starting out, you know, with what we're trying to do, whereas you've been at your game for a couple decades, at least a few decades. Thanks, Josh. No problem. <laughs> I like to make sure you still feel in your 20s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> Well, I think it's great because, you know, you made a good point about your trade too, where this is so new and you've got a lot of people that are trying it. I think you're going to find that like my graduating class in carpentry, you're going to find a lot of them falling off and going by the wayside and it's going to leave the field more open for the people like you that have the drive to do that. And that was, that would be the same with anything, (laughs) you know, but if you pursue and, you know, You may find some classes to take. You may find some advisor that you can lean on a little bit to get some some clues as to how to make it a little better. And once you start to separate from the pack, 
you'll just won't have to do anything. It'll come to you. It'll become your own, you know. And I think that's the whole key to everything. You know, I, I don't want to sound like the prophet, but, you know, the, the key to life is to make yourself happy and be good at what you do. And people come to you. Whether it's sales or building or blogging or anything else, you just have to be good at it and like it. Because that's when your passion will come through and your artistry too. Do you have any other questions? No, I think that I think that was a pretty good note to end on right there, actually. It is. Uh, <laughs> that's P, what I was do you say. have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap for the day? Well, I really was uh, a little humbled when you asked me to come and do this because nobody's ever asked me how I got to where I am and what I did to get here. So um, I appreciate that. And it was great sitting and chatting with you guys. And if any of your listeners have any more questions and anything I can answer for them, I'm always out there through Josh and Watson. You can find a hold of me. Well, thank you, Pete, so much for being by today. It's uh, It was an interesting thing for me, too, when uh, I was thinking about it going, you know, we think about, we talk about content creators and artists and whatnot that we interview, and I went, we've never really, I guess I'd never really thought about carpentry in an artistic manner or in a creative manner. Mm-hmm. And something just clicked with me after having spent so many years talking to you about your trade and everything that we've gone back and forth with. And I'm like, you know what, even though there's probably not a lot of our listeners that are like, I want to get into carpentry. They're probably more along the lines of like, I'm going to get into video production or whatever. There's a lot of parallels that we've come to find throughout this conversation. A lot more similarities than I thought. There really is. (laughs) Everything is related. And one thing that I used to talk to the related, well, the related class at school, they used to have a related construction class, and it was made up of all the, the kids that were going to carpentry, uh, plumbing, electrical, computers. And you could point to anybody in the class and take that trade, and you can tie it in to anything else. And if you think hard about what you're, you're doing, you can tie in, well, we already did. We tied in your studio to me putting up the building, somebody putting up the lights, somebody doing the heat, somebody wiring all your your monitors and your keyboards and all your stuff for you and then you do what you do best by doing the blogging so you know everything is related and we've forgotten that along the way so wherever you find your niche you're only one little niche in that big tree so remember that everybody's going to be your best friend if you treat them that way (laughs) my mother always said you get more bees with honey absolutely (laughs) absolutely Well, again, Pete, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, for anyone listening, tune in again next week. We'll be back at you with some more AV Underground. Until then, keep creating. See ya. AV Underground is a production of YDG Studios and is brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters. To find out more about our guests this week, check the links in the description. Our intro music is 9 to Thrive by Culla. Find out more about Culla by visiting Culla.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H.com. Do you have questions about getting started as a content creator that you'd like us to address in a future episode? Send us an email at yeahdudegamers at gmail.com with the subject line, Ask AV Underground, and we just might include your question in an upcoming episode. AV Underground is hosted by MJ Watson and Josh Needham and is produced by Josh Needham.